Well, folks, you've heard me talk before about uh, how much I love Christmas and this time of year. You know, I was thinking this week, I, I got a lot of memories with Christmas, but even more than that, I have most of my good memories around Christmas. I started thinking, you know, I got some vacations and, and some summertime things, but when I, when I travel back into my memory, I, I don't really go as much to summertime or spring. I, I kind of come to this season. I come to this time of year. It not only has great memories for me, it, I think it has most of my memories. I remember the, the, the Christmas of 1971, and that was, uh, Okay, that's not the Christmas of 71. That, that's a little bit earlier. I think my mom snuck that into the loop. Uh, yeah, that's my first Christmas. Yeah, kind of an ooh and an awe moment, isn't it? Yeah, that's precious. There's the Christmas of 71. That's my sister Debbie uh, to the right. The other one's a bear. Um, Christmas of 71, that's what I would call. Do y'all have anywhere in your memory a Norman Rockwell Christmas memory? That, that's my Norman Rockwell Christmas memory. It was a, a white Christmas in Colorado with the grandparents. They put up the tacky lights. My grandmother had made enough cookies to last till July 4th. They had, can you see that, at a white aluminum Christmas tree. Praise God. Amen. Anybody in here have a white aluminum Christmas? Why? Why did you do that? that? That is something right there. One of the truly the great things America has offered to the kingdom of God. Uh, yeah, so that, that's my Norman Rockwell Christmas memory. And then I can, I can run ahead to the Christmas. You're going to start to see, man, he takes his Christmas thing serious. Christmas of 86, that's when uh, I asked that girl to marry me. Yeah, and man, the crazy thing is she said yes. Yeah, that's, that's the Christmas of 86. And then the next year, Christmas of 87, is when we got married. We, we celebrate 24 years tomorrow. Uh, of anniversary. And, and so, you know, I, I mean, I, I aim everything at Christmas. And then it was, it was Christmas of 95. As a matter of fact, it was the day after Christmas that uh, we found out we were pregnant with number three. I, I say we, I use the word we pretty loosely. Uh, she was carrying number three, uh, Colin. And, and then it was the Christmas of 98. That's when all my memories kind of came full circle. Because I was now carrying the grandkids to Colorado for a white Christmas with the grandparents. And man, what a white Christmas it was. We were there two weeks. There was never less than two feet of snow uh, the entire time that we were there. So man, I love, I love Christmas. I love the memories that I have logged in life that go with Christmas. But I'm thinking about that this week. I'm thinking about Christmas memories when all of a sudden, now y'all don't tell anybody, okay, this is just for us. Because I realize that none of my Christmas memories have anything at all to do with Jesus. I mean, I'm a pastor. I can get fired for stuff like that. So I get on my knees and pray. say, God, I've got to come up with a Jesus memory. I, I mean, if I have to make one up. You know, I got, I got, and then all of a sudden, Don's, well, I don't have to make one up. And all of a sudden, there, it, I noticed there is, and I didn't put it in pictures. I didn't mention it just now. But from about the age of 13 on, there is a common thread in a whole lot of Christmases that are going to follow. And that common thread is Second Baptist Houston. We started going there, like I said, when I was about 13 or 14. And I would have been in church every Christmas prior to that. But I don't remember any of them. 
Obviously, the first couple you're not going to remember very well. But I mean, I didn't remember even the the recent ones, about 12 or 13. None of them really stuck. But about the age of 13, 14, those Christmases begin to count. And when I say that, I I can think of certain messages. Dr. Young had an illustration he gave every single Christmas about God walking down the stair steps with a baby. I remember that illustration. We did a, 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 a living Christmas tree. We did a big Christmas production like our, our choir and orchestra does. And I remember that being a part of Christmas. But what I remember the most, when I think back to those years, I remember it was there that the announcement of those angels became real. It was at Second Baptist Houston that the announcement of those angels that I realized that announcement was for me. It, it, it began, it became personal. And I always remember Second Baptist as being that place where I understood what they were saying when they said, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom he favors. Peace on earth. What a great announcement. I bet you've already gotten cards this year that say peace on earth, don't you? Have you got one or two? Maybe it doesn't. Say, peace on earth, right there on the front. Kind of a funny announcement, isn't it? I mean, there's not peace on earth. (laughs) There wasn't peace on earth when the angels announced it. There wasn't peace on earth when Jesus left. There hadn't been peace on earth since then. Man, nations are at war. Businesses are at war. Families are at war. Man, families at war. Christmas is just awful. I mean, Christmas just means we're going to ramp the war up right now. Yeah, what peace on earth, kind of strange that we talk about peace when... There's actually very little of it going around. Let's see if we can understand what that announcement, what that piece is about. We're gonna, let's read the announcement in its full context. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. I hope you'll grab one and study along or have somebody hand you one. Luke chapter 2. We're gonna look at verses 8 to 15. Luke 2, verse 8 to 15 says there, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. (laughs) Yeah, that would seem kind of like the obvious response, wouldn't it? (laughs) Let's go to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This is now the the third announcement by angels. There was an angel that went to Zechariah. His name was Gabriel and, and talked about John the Baptist. Then there was an angel again, Gabriel, that went and talked to Mary. Both of those, Zechariah and Mary, individual participants in this unfolding drama that we call the Christmas story. 
But now an angel, it starts off as an angel, one angel comes to these shepherds and gives this announcement. And of course, in the middle of announcement, an innumerable amount of angels, angels that, that filled the sky, joined the one angel. And this, this announcement comes to these shepherds. The shepherds there, what I like to call Joe Public, the common guy. You know, I think sometimes shepherds, and I, I, preachers do this. I, I hear preachers do this a lot. I have read it sometimes, but we kind of we make the shepherds sound bad. You know, like they were outcasts. They were kind of, you know, the, the lowest common denominator. People kind of looked down on them and they were on the outs. And I know, I know in history where that mindset comes. I know there are certainly cultures where that is the case about, about shepherds. But I, I don't think that's really true with Israelite history or, or with biblical history. They, they had a pretty positive view of shepherds. I mean, think about it this way. Who in your mind would be the three greatest names in the Old Testament? Now, I bet if we went around the room, I, I, we might come up with five names. We, we'd each add a different one here and there, but I bet we'd be pretty close to naming three, wouldn't we? We'd, add, we'd say Abraham, wouldn't we? Father of the Jews. We'd say Moses, wouldn't we? Giver of the law. What about a third one? He was a king. David. You know what all three of those guys were? They were all shepherds. I'm guessing the three great heroes of the Jewish faith were not outcasts and looked down on. Jesus called himself a shepherd. So I don't, I don't think they were looked down on. A shepherd, I think probably if we were to try to relate this to our culture and our world, a shepherd was middle America. A, a, a shepherd was a, a blue-collar worker, the average guy. And average there doesn't mean less than good, less than excellent. excellent. It, it just means the majority the most. The, this, this announcement came for the, the people, the, the common person. And boy, when we see this announcement come, we see a light show, don't we? Wouldn't you like to have seen that? I don't think there's any card that really portrays it. I mean, I, I look at cards, you know, you, you get your peace on earth cards and you go, ah, or it looks nice, nice little shade of blue, the little dots everywhere. It says when these guys saw it, they were terrified. So I'm guessing our Christmas cards are really not capturing what those guys saw that night. You know, these angels were on an errand, weren't they? They were sent from the throne room of God to carry this message to the shepherds. I, I would imagine literally moments, moments ago, they were in the very presence of God. You know, the scripture talks to us about being in the presence of God. As a matter of fact, it refers to Moses being in that presence. And when he left the presence, he had God's Shekinah glory on his face. It scared people. He literally, he wore a veil when he came out of the presence of God. Well, that's what's lighting up this sky. A few seconds in the presence of God and angels can light the entire sky. And it says, and they were terrified. They were filled with fear. Have you felt fear before? You know, a little bit sick on the stomach, maybe. Or, you know, a little weak in the knees. Maybe you had goosebumps, but you were literally feeling fear. Man, that's what they felt. They're in the, literally in the presence of, of God's glory, not the angels, but God's glory. You know, folks, the, the Scripture teaches, Old and New Testament, that it is terrifying to be in the presence of God. doesn't say it's scary. doesn't say it's spooky. doesn't say people go, ooh. It says it's terrifying. But while it is terrifying, that's not the desire of God in that that's what you experience. He wants you to know and experience peace in his presence. And that's what this announcement is about. The announcement really is very simple, very straightforward. The Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. Now see, the Jews have been waiting for that announcement for, well, 
forever. <laughs> I mean, all the way back to the very, very, very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve fall into sin, and there's consequences for that fall. But in those consequences, God already begins to move to provide and make promises. And He says to Eve, He says, Eve, I tell you what, from you, from your seed will come one who will crush the head of Satan. Now, if I'm Eve, I'm not thinking, yeah, man, I can't wait in four or five thousand years, that's going to happen. No, I'm, I'm thinking Eve with the next baby wonders, is this the one? Is this the one that will crush the head of Satan? And then, and then there was the next baby, and, and then maybe she began to realize, okay, not that. So then she began to look for grandchildren, and, and then maybe great-grandchildren. And, and boy, with each one, don't you know, with each one born, she'd say, let me tell you what God promised me. Let me tell you what God told me. And that, that story might have been told for a while, might have been advanced for a while, but boy, time kind of wears it down, doesn't it? It's not that we don't believe anymore, it just, it kind of slides off the front burner of our hope. It kind of slides back there to the back burner, but, but then God enlivens the promise again. He quickens it again and he comes to that great King David. And he says, you've got a whole nation here now. I've promised that the Messiah is going to come through this nation, but let me narrow it down. And he says, David, through your line. Man, don't you know that all the female descendants of David were thinking, is my baby the one? Is my baby going to be the Messiah? But, but here again, the centuries start to add up. So that's what's happening. There is a faith. There is a belief. But don't we know just human nature, that hope, that hope is kind of slid in the back. I guess they are probably a lot like where we are with the second coming. We believe in the second coming. We've studied it. We understand it. We know there's all these prophecies, all these promises that go with it. But as the... Gosh, just like the first coming, when the centuries start to add up, when the millennia start to add up, it just kind of slides to the back. Not that we want it to, it just does. Oh, folks, let's, let's go back to the back burner and bring it to the front. Man, if there's anything that should give us hope in the second coming, it's the first coming. It took millennia. But there was very specific promises of what that would be like and what that would look like. And it did happen and it fulfilled every single one of those promises. So for us, there will be a night just like those shepherds had. Where you see, where you hear, this is it! That's a big statement when you've been waiting a couple thousand years, isn't it? What? Tonight? All this stuff I've been learning in Sunday school. All these stuff I've believed for years and decades and centuries. I mean, this is it. This is tonight. Can we even try to imagine what they felt like, what that meant? No wonder they said, hey, you want to go to Bethlehem and check this out? Yeah, I guess they would. I guess they would go check that out. Now, what is this announcement? It's very simply, the Messiah is here. Now, what are they, what are they anticipating in a Messiah? What are they looking for? Well, we know from history around this time, man, they're hoping the Messiah is a warrior. They're hoping he's a general. He's going he's gonna to gather the armies. He's going to rally the troops. And we're going to kick Rome out of our nation. They wanted, a, they wanted a fighting Messiah. There's probably some that say, well, you know what? I want a Messiah that's going to bring health. I want a Messiah that's going to bring prosperity. What should a Messiah do? I mean, you know, it's been millennia. It's been, we want him to do something big, Right? Hey, we go around the room right now. What do you, what, if a Messiah comes today, what do we want him to do? What, what does he fix? What does he correct? You know, I, I bet 
here again, kind of like those names, we might have some different ideas, but I bet it would all land in about four or five categories. Probably about four or five things. We think this is what a machine, I mean, if God's coming to the world, clearly, this is what he ought to be doing. You know, there'd be something, a common failure in everything that we'd want a Messiah to do. No matter what we mention, no matter what you mention, there'd be one thing we'd all miss it on. I'm guessing we'd miss it on this. Everything we think a Messiah should do would be temporary. We'd want him to correct, to fix something about our lives, about our nation, about our world right here and right now. And, and by the way, temporary doesn't mean unimportant. Well, we could go around the room and mention some very big things, some very significant things, some very important things. But I'm guessing just by our nature, we'd get stuck on the very temporary things. Well, here's the problem with only having temporary solutions. You still die. So whatever got fixed, it's still in. I mean, what if the Messiah comes today and you die tomorrow? Well, that's a bummer. You mean I waited all this time, everything gets right and fixed, and then I die tomorrow? See, there's a lot of things we can fix that just don't make a whole lot of difference sometimes. See, Jesus, the Messiah, came to do something a little bit bigger, a little bit more significant. Not that we wouldn't mention significant things. He came to do something that would be eternal. He came to bring a peace between you and God. It wasn't about peace between nations. You know, the Bible talks about peace between nations, and that is going to be something God corrects, but that's not why the Messiah came. It's not about peace between businesses. It's not about peace between families. Man, God cares a lot about peace between families, but that's not what this is about. This is about peace between you and God. Say, do I need that? Oh man, what a wonderful time to review Romans. We've spent seven months there. Think about what we've learned in Romans. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For God will reveal his wrath from heaven against godlessness and unrighteousness. Well, yeah, he sure should. You know, he's talking about you. Oh, well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not godless. I'm not... uh, that's, a, that's an awful word, isn't it? I'm not godless. I'm not, un, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I've done some things wrong. I know that. I need forgiveness. But godless and... Un, yeah. Yeah, Romans 3, what does he say? All of us, none of us are righteous. Not one. Not a single one. Without a Messiah. Without a Messiah in our lives, not one is righteous. Every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Really? Does that bother God? Yeah, Romans 5.10 says we're enemies. That's how we're perceived by God. That's how we're viewed by God. We're viewed as enemies, people against him, people in offense against him. Without a Messiah, that's how we are seen. It is into this that Jesus came as a Messiah to fix. This is what he came to work in our lives. You know, we're, we're at an end of a year. And, 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 you know, this is a time we're kind of evaluating and we're thinking not, not just about what a Messiah would do, but what we'd like to see God do. What, what would God do in this year and in this world? And here again, I think we would get stuck on the temporary. You know, folks, I'm going to suggest that if things are not right between you and God, then it doesn't matter what is right. If things are not right between you and God, it doesn't matter what in this world is right. For that matter, it doesn't really matter what in this world is wrong. 
You know, I, I would liken it to this. Let, let's say you're, you're driving down the road. We'll call it the, the, the road of life. You're on a journey down the road of life. And you are in the best car you could imagine. What is that car? Be different for all of us. Some be a Rolls maybe. Anybody in a Rolls? A, a, a Ferrari? You know, what, what would you be in? Your favorite car. This is the best. And you own it, by the way. No, no loan with this one. You are in a paid-for car, nicest car you could imagine. And you're driving down the best highway in America. I mean, it is the most beautiful scenery you could imagine. Beautiful scenery in your favorite car. And in one mile, you're in a head-on collision. And let me ask you this. If in one mile, you're in a head-on collision in which you will die, does it really matter what car you're driving to get there? Does it really matter if in one mile around the corner you're going to have a head-on collision and die? Does it really matter what the scenery is like on the way there? And yet, folks, that's the human life. We are so caught up in what is carrying me. We're so caught up in the scenery and the circumstances going. And I'm not belittling that, folks. I'm not making light of that stuff. But if you're in a head-on collision with God's wrath, then what, pray tell, difference does it make what is driving you there? If you're in a head-on collision with God's wrath, what difference does it make what the circumstances and the scenery was on the way to that collision? It's going to be a bad collision. And a Messiah entered this world to save you from that collision. He wants to turn your collision with wrath into a collision with peace. He wants to turn your collision with wrath into a collision with friendship with God. I like the way that uh, Zechariah praises God. He, it, matter of fact, we see his praise just a few verses earlier than the, than the passage we just read in Luke chapter 2. The end of Luke chapter 1 Look at this verse here. Zechariah is praising, and this is the last sentences of his, of his praise. He says, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to what? The way of peace. Look at that, folks. The dawn from on high is going to rise. There's going to be a Christmas. Is there going to be a Christmas because we deserve it? Is there going to be a Christmas because God owes us this? No, folks, there's going to be a Christmas because God's merciful. There's going to be a Messiah because God's merciful. And when the Messiah gets here, do you see where we are? Where do we live? We live in darkness, don't we? We live in death. And the Messiah is going to come into that darkness. He's going to come into that death. He's going to grab us by the hand. It's a grab of love. It's a gentle grab. And He is going to guide our feet to the way of peace. Jesus put on a body so that we could touch Him, talk to Him, recognize Him. He put on a body so that my sins could be placed onto Him. He put on a body so that he could go to the cross and carrying my sins, he could pay the penalty. For one reason. So that you could be friends with God. That thought overwhelmed the angels. 
Does it overwhelm you? Does it overwhelm you that the Messiah would enter this so you could be friends with God? I said we are, as, as I said, we are at a time of year where we're, we're thinking, I mean, obviously New Year, that week after Christmas, we, right now we're kind of evaluating how 2011 went. We're looking forward to 2012 as we look forward. Maybe there's some things we're anxious, concerned, maybe already afraid of. Maybe there's some things we're looking forward to. But if you're not right with God, what difference does it make what's out there? Whether it's good or whether it's scary. If you're not right with God, what difference does it make? Right now in your own mind, every one of us in here has some, we're, we, we fall on a spectrum of our relationship with God, from no relationship at all to a, a really strong, thriving, growing relationship. Where are you right now in that spectrum? What, what would it mean for you right now? Just off the top of your head, what do you think? Boy, if I was going to take a step forward into that relationship, if I was going to do something to strengthen that relationship, you know, it says that Jesus wants to guide my feet to the way of peace. If I'm going to actually let my feet go where Jesus is guiding me, where, where are my feet going to take me? What would I do? What would he do? Where are we going to, where are we going to go? Man, I hope you'll spend some time thinking and praying about that because the most significant thing that would happen in 2012 is that you take a step forward in your walk with the Lord. You know, I will forever remember Second Baptist because that's where I realized those angels were talking to me. Those angels had an announcement for me. You know what? There's people in this room right now that should the Lord tarry, and He's not coming yet for another hundred years, that next year, five years from now, ten years from now, when you're thinking about Christmas memories, you need to be able to say, you know, I'll always remember Colonial Heights Baptist. I'll always remember that because that's where the angel's announcement became real for me. If you're here today and that announcement has not become real, it's not become personal, let today be that day. Don't leave here continuing in a collision with God's wrath, but leave here in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Leave here in, in friendship with Him. It doesn't matter what else is going on if you don't have that. And if you have that, You've got a new strength, you've got a new wisdom, you've got a new endurance, you've got a new perspective in how you take on all of those things that are going on out there. You know, if you have a relationship with Christ, you know that you know it, right? Romans chapter 8 tells us that, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness with our spirit that we're a child of God. We sit here today, man, I'm not perfect, but man, I know it. I know God loves me. I know He has adopted me. I know I'm, on a, I'm a child of His and I am in no way, shape, or form on a collision with wrath. I know that for a fact. But if you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, one, I know I've not been adopted as a child of God. I know I don't have a relationship with Him. Or maybe you're sitting here and there's, there's doubt, there's, there's uncertainty, there's questions, there's confusion. There's just kind of a blank as you 
try to think about that. Then let me suggest to you, you're not a child of God. The Holy Spirit wants you to know that. And if you were, he would tell you, you are. Rest in that. Be secure in that. But if you don't have a sense of security right here, right now, then you're not. You're not. And the reason you have that confusion is because the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you, you need to come. You need to come. Why not this be the Christmas that it finally changes? That we finally get on the path that Jesus is guiding us to. If we're not on that path, then what is it we're praying about? If we're not on the path that Jesus wants to take us to, then what is it we're hoping is going to get fixed and changed? Because really every step of your life is a fight against God. You might be a wonderful, good person, and every step is a fight against God. If you're here today and you want to change that status, you want to move into a relationship with your Messiah, I'd like to say a prayer. Right now, a prayer like I prayed at Second Baptist Houston when I asked the Messiah to come into my life. And if you're here today and you want to make that step of faith, then I encourage you just to call out to the Lord in this prayer, to, to pray this prayer along with me. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross for my sins and my failures. Jesus, I want you to guide my feet to that way of peace. Jesus, I want to depend upon you and you alone to guide me into a friendship with the God. Would you come into my life, Jesus? Help me to live with you and to live for you forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.